it, it shakes me every single time I see something. It shakes my faith in can we get out of this mess that we're in? Can we, you know, actually talk to each other? Or is it just going to be a constant us versus them on both sides, you know? There, there has to be room for that. Otherwise, this country is heading to a very dark place. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Tourist Information. We have a special episode with the star of the smash success documentary, Boy State, and it's Stephen Garza, the hero, I think, of the film for a lot of people, who comes up short. And I think like so many people, this kid, (laughs) I'm seeing it all over social media, that if he declared his candidacy as a third party, in November, a lot of people would vote for him. His integrity, his decency, his willingness to talk to the other side, to try to start conversations. This was just a very, very special kid, first member of his family to graduate high school. And he's on his way now at the University of Texas, which this film um, facilitated. The So this is an extraordinary guy, and I think why I wanted to talk to him so badly was really this kid and kids like him that emerged from Boy State are going to dictate what America is. And uh, so I wanted to see how that looked to him. And uh, I really had fun with this conversation. This is a very special guy, Stephen Garza. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. No problem. So I'm wondering how Boys State has changed your life with the attention you're getting, the kind of hope that you've inspired. Can you just walk me through, I don't know, uh, this thing entering the world and your story reaching so many people so profoundly? Yeah, of course. Um, it's very... Um, I probably said the word surreal more times like in the past few months than I ever have in my entire life. Um, as, as somebody very passionate about this country, about politics and, and policies, it's very nice to kind of get that attention to, you know, start building a, a platform of my own with people who have seen the film. I've, I've had a, you know, a, a huge influx of new, followers across social media, people kind of asking me my thoughts. And it's, it's always, you know, it, it's nice to be able to um, start creating a base <laughs> of, of supporters. So, that, you know, you know, in, in the future, um, or even now, I'm able to, you know, hopefully call them to, to action, uh, you know, if need be. The the attention that the film has gotten is, is, you know, unbelievable. You know, we filmed this uh, two years and two months ago. It took a year and a half before it uh, premiered at Sundance. And we didn't know what was going to come of it. We didn't, you know, I didn't know if it would get into the festival. I didn't know if it would get picked up for distribution. I didn't know if people were going to like it. And the response thus far has been super amazing. And, 
um, the opportunities that have come with that to meet new people all over the world, to meet, um, you know, to, ha- to have, you know, discussions with celebrities and to, you know, just just be out there and, and, and have, have the world know your name is, is something so invaluable. Um, it, it's, it's truly a blessing. What are some of those conversations and, and who have they been with that has been surprising and meaningful for you as a result of this film? Definitely with, with those who, uh, I think a lot of them who aren't in the United States, a lot of them who are, you know, um, from other countries and don't have the same political system that we do, but they, you know, as America is considered to be the the leader of the free world and the, you know, the number one country in the world, um, people pay attention to what's happening over here. Uh, people are closely watching, you know, from Scotland, Australia, Belgium, Japan. They're all very much interested in what happens in November because, you know, that, you know, that's the leader, you know, that's the leader of, of the world uh, to a lot of, in a lot of people's eyes, the United States is. So, hearing their reactions to it and kind of seeing what the next generation of, of American leaders looks like from an outsider perspective, from some, some, somebody who doesn't understand that we only have two parties, two major parties, when they might have 10 in, in their own parliamentarian system uh, and the way things are done and the, and the campaign tactics, that has been the most interesting. Just it's, it's very much learning from each other and, you know, what we could take away from uh, the way other people's countries do politics and the way that we do it. Yeah. Well, and and I've I've tried to follow the subjects as as you've been interviewed, Rene Otero, Robert McDougall, and Ben Finkstein, and it seems like, um, especially with Feinstein, some of the tactics he used to assist his side to victory, um, it was a real point of reflection for him to watch the film, and he talked about having um, an opportunity to revisit the timeline without being filtered by his memories or his emotional stakes in it, um, has offered him a, a very fresh perspective on where he wants to go in the future as a result of Boy's State. And I wonder for you, when you look at the course of what happened, um, are there things you would do differently? Or, or how do you feel about that time period? And, and how do you wish to sort of use it going forward in, in your own life and potential political career there's look looking back it, it, and again ben ben does talk about the you, you look at it through uh the eyes of of other people you know i i didn't know and so i saw the film that robert didn't really believe in what he was saying which is a huge shock to me hmm. and likewise i didn't see the tactics that were used um against me or, or the, the planning of that how they wanted to do how they executed that um, if there were anything I could have done differently, I would have been, I guess, more uh, forceful in 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 my how do you say more more forceful in 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 my speeches and more um, pressing against it. I was I, I, so typically, you know, after the the March for Our Lives stuff came out, I would. Defend my position because I because you know I mean and, and the thing is first and foremost all of our friends now you know 
you know, me, me and Ben, Renee, Robert, Eddie, we're all very, very much cool with each other. And uh, I talk to them on a pretty regular basis. Um, uh, so that being said, when Eddie, Eddie in his first couple of speeches against me would always hit, would always attack me on the March for Our Lives immediately, that would be his first thing he would do. So in response to that, the first thing I would do is defend my position and then move on to something else. I didn't want the focus to be just on Stephen's gun reform position. Uh, I wish I was a little bit more forceful with that, a little bit more uh, overbearing, if, if that makes sense, just to, to, to really squash it. To And I think I succeeded in that in some way because by the the third speech out of the four we had on election day, uh, Eddie stopped doing it <laughs> because mm. I, I was ready for him to do it. And so he would do it and I was ready to defend myself and turn it against him. And then he did it again. And I did the same thing again, even better now because I knew what, exactly what to expect. And so he realized that this is not going to work. And that way he, he shifts gears when instead of attacking me in a speech, he decides to try to get the audience to answer his questions. That's when I was like, okay, he realized that he, that what he was doing wasn't working. Um, so I wish I, I wish still I wish I was a little more forceful with that. And I mean, if I got to do it again, I'm not even sure if I'd run for governor again. <laughs> if I had mm. a second go around, uh, I was very I even saying the film that I was very interested in being part of the House or the Senate, uh, and I probably would have ran for a leadership position there. What do you think are the qualities that our country needs right now in a leader? And what qualities of, of being a leader do you think that you demonstrated that seem to compel so many people and connect to them emotionally and inspire them? I think it's 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 empathy and it's just the, the, the fact that you're willing to listen. Um, I you know it, it should be no surprise that I don't agree with at all with the current president of the United States and. You know, as as you know, Jim Mattis says that he doesn't even try to, or he doesn't unite people, or even pretend to try to unite people. I think that politicians should do more reaching across the aisle and not just trying to to the the whole win at all cost thing. I think is very detrimental and, and corrosive to the health of our democracy. Um, I would never ever see the current president, you know, inviting the other side and listening, actually hearing what they have to say, you know, to them, to, to his, to his, you know, and this is not generalizing all Republicans. This is not general. This is generalizing his inner circle, his, you know, his top people have no other interest in except for, quote-unquote owning the libs or whatever it is that they want to do. Or they see it as the enemy. They see it as a threat to the existence of the United States, you know, and that's not how you should see, that's not how you should see half the country. You know, they say the Democrats are evil, the Democrats are this and that. More people voted for, for Hillary Clinton than you, sir. So are you saying that more than half the country is, is evil and is corrupt and doesn't believe in American values and are un-American because they don't support you. You know, I think what people would like to vote for me and, and respect me 
even if they disagreed with all the political positions that I had, I had people coming up to me saying, I don't believe a single thing you believe in. I am like you your position on guns and my position on guns aren't at all alike. But the fact that you're listening to what I have to say, the fact that you're taking into consideration what I have to say, and maybe you don't, you know, maybe you'll listen to what I have to say and you won't agree, but the fact that you made the effort to, the fact that you, instead of you just drowning my, you know, my side out of it because I disagree with you, you know, just because you didn't just stop there and, and you actually sat down and listened and we had a conversation about it is something that I'd like to see happen more. Uh, and I think that's a, you know, without <laughs> it's a political film and I'm a political person and I don't want to get too political, but I think that's something that, that, that Joe Biden does well is try to, you know, reach out to the other side and say, like, I'm, I like I want to listen. You know, I want to hear what's on your mind. I want to know what things matter to you. And I will do my best to try to accommodate that uh, to a degree. Uh, at least you know that I will listen, no matter who you are, that I will listen to you, no matter how vehemently I disagree with you. But I'm still going to give people a chance to talk to one or you know, I, I, I believe truly, really much in that, and the fact that people should really talk to each other a lot more. Um, that, you know, people say people, things don't get done. That's because the other side don't want to talk to each other. I use gun reform as an example. Ninety percent of Americans support universal background checks. Uh, that's something that could easily be passed, you know, if the Congress wanted to pass it, but it doesn't, even though the country overwhelmingly supports it, because they're not willing to talk to each other, because they're not willing to sit down and and work out those details with each other. And that's why, like, faith in Congress, faith in politicians is at a, is at a pretty big low right now. Are there are there politicians, active politicians right now, or historical politicians that have inspired you or assisted in your development of, of political awareness? Oh yeah, definitely. There's so many, you know, historical. You know, um, I think there's a lot to admire about anybody. You know, well, like the, like for example, like Theodore Roosevelt was is is able to get praise from conservatives, from liberals, from progressives, from, you know, conservationists. And he's able to also get a lot of criticism from those groups as well. Uh, FDR, again, one of the great, you know, American presidents. And, but there's there's still, you know, people, humans are flawed. They're not perfect. There is no such thing as, as a perfect person. There's no such thing as a perfect politician, no matter how much you support them. You know, I use for, you know, I say in the film, Bernie Sanders is a huge reason why I got into politics. And hmm. Bernie has done some things that I don't agree with or supported some some legislation that I didn't agree with. You know, Teddy, Peter Roosevelt did a lot of things I didn't agree with. FDR, every single person, you know, Better or Work also had a uh, a huge influence because I got to know him directly uh, and, and meet him and form, a, you know, a relationship with him when he first, you know, Ran for office. I did about 50 events with him in total from from April 2017 to like November 2017. I staffed him at about 50 events, and just got to speak with him and know him. And then I was, you know, being in school in El Paso for a year. You know, he <laughs> always runs through campus, and so like my, you know, my friends just sent me a video yesterday, like, oh, there's Beto running, you know, doing his his daily run. Um, 
and you know he did things that you know or or made things that I didn't support and I think a lot of people uh looked for these these uh incorruptible beings and in, in politicians and and when they do that, they're just asking to be disappointed because they're just they're people they're like any other person uh and they're not um they're not perfect. They're not perfect beings. And if people want that, then they're going to be very disappointed. Uh, but I, I, draw, I draw a lot of influence from, from, from Beto, from Bernie, who, again, are kind of like two sides of the ideological spectrum. Beto is a more moderate Democrat in Texas. Bernie Sanders is a very progressive Democrat. Um, fictionalized, you know, I, <laughs> you know, I'm a huge West Wing fan. And uh, so... I think of, you know, President Bartlett and the, you know, I know a lot of people <laughs> could have done like the Westing for being that like pie in the sky, liberal utopia. Uh, and, you know, but I think like, like if, if government were like that, it would be a lot better. You know, I, I, I like the idealism of it uh, a lot, even though maybe it's not the most realistic thing. You know, the fact that that's something that people could strive for is is very motivating for me. Yeah, I mean, certainly my father is a victim of Aaron Sorkin utter devotion. <laughs> like those <laughs> uh, those wonderful speeches. I mean, he he's desperate for somebody like that to exist in the political landscape. And and to that end, why do you think? I mean, you you pointed out earlier that faith in politicians, uh, even in our democracy, less than fifty percent of people vote currently. Um, why is it that it seems that we have a system? that doesn't seem to bring about very many people that inspire a lot of hope. And, you know, in the end of Boys State, there's a lot of people, even people that you were uh, adversaries who and supporters and were moved to tears by what you represented in running. And, I, I mean, Joe Biden, one of the big issues, of, of course, of his campaign is a lack of enthusiasm is what's pointed out in the media to, to a great – he's safer and there's advantages to that he's not alienating as many people as, say, Hillary Clinton. But why do you think it's a system that increasingly – I think a lot of people who look at Trump's victory that it seems to incentivize – almost sociopathic behavior. Like you're saying, that zero-sum win, win no matter what, and once you win, suddenly you can have all of these scandals, you can pardon people, you're sort of, a lot of his behavior seems to be acting above the law, that he's somehow an, an exception to our, our judicial system. Um, why isn't it encouraging more people that seemed to encompass what your candidacy did in terms of that there was integrity, there was dignity, there was talking to people, there was listening to people. Why isn't there more of that? Because I, I, I believe a lot of people think that you, you, you can't win on, on that. You can't win. And I think my, my favorite moment in the film out of every single, you know, and, and I, I don't like watching myself in it. It's like hearing your voice amplified times a million because you're on a big screen. Sure. I, I absolutely adore everybody else in it. and But I think, hands down, my favorite scene in the entire film is Robert's confessional. Mm. And it's just, you know, Robert has 
you know, again, like he, and you know, he comes across as like the stereotypical, you know, jock, you know, you know, like perfect Republican, you know, and that scene of him having this, he's, it's, I say it's like a soliloquy. It's really, I don't, I don't see it as him talking to the filmmakers about what he thinks. I think of it as him having a conversation with himself out loud. And you see in his in his face, and he's you know, I I shouldn't lie, I shouldn't be adding to that trend, but I understand now why politicians. I have a greater understanding and appreciation for why they do. And him saying you can't win in, on, on what you believe in your heart. I did. I think what people walk away with like despair uh, of what the results in the election were. Don't realize that that is not a good demographic of what Texas or the United States is. Right. If I was able to make it that far with a mostly conservative group, imagine if we added women, imagine if we added more liberal people to that group. Um, it's, you know, the, the odds were stacked against me for me to make it as far as I did shows that people, you know, especially young people, as conservative as they may be, they want somebody to lead them, to inspire them. That's something that Bernie Sanders did very well in his two presidential runs. Bernie Sanders overwhelmingly won, you know, me being a young Hispanic, overwhelmingly won basically every age demographic uh, in Latinos, that um, with Latino people. And it's, you know, people ask me, like, how, why? Like, why? They're like, how can a 70-something guy from the Northeast, you know, who's been in politics forever, like, enthusiast, you know, make people that excited, and Joe Biden is also a seventy-something-year-old guy from the Northeast. And why do people think they have trouble with with a problem with that? Uh, and I think it just comes down to, to policies and excitements. And I think that people are, are a little bit tired of they they're so tired of what's happening in the world right now with with the you know President Trump that they kind of want to return to normalcy. And then when young people think about what normal was, it, it, it also wasn't that great either. Uh, the leaps and bounds better than what it was than than what it is today, but I think people don't want to go back to normalcy. I think people want to go forward and and make more progress, not just go back to the way things were, but improve upon the way things were. And so I, I see Joe Biden taking serious strides in in addressing that, um, and I think people believe that they can't run because they see. And again, people, you know, like Ben says. The young people are watching what the adults are doing, and they're mimicking them because that's how Trump wins. How did Trump win? He was, you know, this crazy bombastic, didn't get this outsider, didn't care about anything, you know. And you say scandal after scandal after scandal, and you know he's, <laughs> you know, like you know, we we'll just use the RNC last week and all the you know violations, apparent violations of the Hatch Act. Sure. Nobody's gonna pursue. Yeah, yeah. Congress will open up an investigation and this and that, and then it'll be it'll be over. Another another slap on the wrist, and that's that's a failure on 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 Republicans and 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 Democrats too. I actually, it's something that I've grappled with for a very long time. This I, my idea of working with the other side. And I'm, I'm talking not about politicians. I'm talking about Americans, uh, the you know, the people who vote them in. I think 
you know, there's so many people, you know, Republican members of Congress that I, you know, do not believe should be in Congress, and I find their views reprehensible and and awful, and and I think they're more devoted to one man than their country. Uh, but I don't, I don't fault, I don't get mad at Republican voters or conservative voters or independents who voted for them because they sent them to be the representative and. I'm kind of rambling here. The I'm going through a, something that I wrote to myself a few days ago at about 1 a.m. because I was just really struggling with this, with my idea and like how can I want to work with people who don't want to work with the other side? You know, so I, I wrote, our nation's leaders blatantly lie and erode our freedoms while the institutions safeguarding those freedoms stand idly by. Many of our legislative defenders fail to rise up to challenge them in meaningful ways, all while the sinews of our republic slowly come undone. And it, it shakes me every single time I see something. It shakes my faith in can we get out of this mess that we're in? Can we, you know actually talk to each other or is it just going to be a constant us versus them on both sides you know there there has to be room for that otherwise this country is heading to a very dark place and, Do you, oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no go ahead it's just i i i'm, I'm very hopeful and very fearful of what's to come in, in 62 days i'm hopeful of what the young of my generation can do to you know, your response of the enthusiasm. I think that young people need to realize that their lives are at stake. Our futures are at stake in this election. Every single time they say, this is the most important election ever. This 2020 election is the most important election ever because the stake of the Supreme Court is on the line. Can this country endure four more years of Donald Trump? Will Donald Trump accept defeat when he loses on November 3rd? Will the President of the United States refuse to relinquish his power? Will his supporters rise up to, to, to challenge the results of the election? It's it's very scary to think about. And I think the more and more I, I read and, and see what's happening, the more fearful I become and the more, at the same time, the more I have to reinforce the idealism that we, this country is going to get better. Because if you don't believe that, then, then what is it all for? I wanted to I wanted to touch on something that I thought was, very curious, and I haven't seen you asked about it so far, but you touched upon, you even quoted Napoleon Bonaparte at one point in the film, and some people have even in the media have said you remind them of Napoleon. And I wondered when Napoleon came on your radar, what he means to you, and, and then I have some more questions about that to ask. Yeah, so there's, there's many... I. I'm just a, a huge history buff and, and reading and I think I think Napoleon is is a very interesting character. Um and in the same way that I think Richard Nixon's one of the most interesting presidents we had, which is not to say which is not an approval of him as president, uh, just as my admiration of Napoleon doesn't come from what he did politically. Uh there's lots of things that he did that are, I think, genuine. again, where it comes to that thing of history, where nobody, nobody is is an angel. Nobody has, you know, if you if you want to see the, you know, Lincoln would have ended the Civil War without ending slavery. Washington owned slaves. FDR interred Japanese people. 
Theodore Roosevelt was a was a shoes nationalist uh, or imperialist, I should say. Um, there, people are flawed, and acknowledging the fact that Napoleon was a dictator, Napoleon did reinstitute slavery in the colonies, and those those facts of him are are, uh, you know, that that's what it is, and it's it's undef- it's indefensible, and it it was wrong of him, no matter you know judging them in their age. Uh, I think a lot of it comes, my admiration comes from his, his character, his, his, his story as the story of, of uh, coming from, from nowhere and coming of age in a time of, of huge turmoil in France and the fact that instead of your life being dictated by who you were born to, like with the nobility, your life was dictated by meritocracy and your own ability to to rise up to the challenge. And so I see, and it's a huge complicated topic, Napoleon and, you know, uh, most people say that the French Revolution ended when Napoleon uh, became the first consul of France. And I look at it in, in the sense that Many of the of the monarchies, you know, all of all of France was had been declared war on by all the monarchies: England, Prussia, Austria, Spain. They were at war with everybody in the first two wars of the coalition. Napoleon has to seize the reins of this directory that is super uh, incompetent and cannot defend France. And it's very likely that France's enemies will take France and reinstall the king and all the people would lose the freedoms that they had gained in the revolution. Uh, again, Napoleon's, and that's where the ambition became, you know, dictatorial, where he became emperor, you know, he proclaimed himself emperor. Uh, but through that, he was able to spread a revolutionary fervor throughout Europe, and really this this idea of liberalism and, and meritocracy and, and the ideas promoted through the revolution uh, and as Napoleon, for the most part, was on the was on, on the defensive in in the Napoleonic Wars, uh, the War of the Third Coalition, Austria, uh, Russia, and England declared war on him. Uh, he defeats the Austrians and Russians at Austerlitz. Prussia declares war on Napoleon in the War of the Fourth Coalition. Napoleon beats Prussia and Russia. Uh, war of the of the Fifth. Austria declares war on on Napoleon after you know they had declared peace in the War of the Third. It's a lot of it is is Napoleon is are these European monarchies trying to to get rid of 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 him and stop the spread of these I- ideas that could one day lead to the toppling of their own monarchies. I just that, I, I, I just also wonder though in relation to your story there was a fascinating kind of divergent symmetry in that. Your political campaign in Boys State was brought down by the revelation that you had led an anti-gun rally, right? Right. Well, Napoleon's political ascension in a pretty instrumental moment in it was during the French Revolution that he was one of the only top military people willing to use cannon to suppress Parisian revolutionaries, to fire on his own people. The 13th Vendemir, yeah, uh, a whiff of grape shot. Uh, 25,000, you know, people revolted and, and, and tried to overthrow the, the, the Republic. A royalist, uh, royalists rose up in Paris 
Napoleon uh, is put in command of the defense of Paris, and he is able to to quell the this uprising. It, it's you know I. It's a, he's he's a very complicated figure. You know he sure. In 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 that sense, he saw himself as as defending the republic against the royalists and. In, yeah, it, I've actually, yeah, I've actually, I have not talked about Napoleon at all in, in the, you know, probably 50 plus, you know, interviews I've done. This is the first time that I've gotten to, to talk about my relationship to him and what I admire and, and what I think about him and, and what I, I don't. And it's just, it's very, it's very hard to judge those kind of actions, uh, you know, not being, you know, in, you know, with the, the 2020 vision we have now. It's very it's it's complicated and, and history is, is complicated and it's messy and you know I I was I rallied really big against secession uh, at, at Boy State I really and that that came from a place of that that came from somewhere in me where I I just the 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 parallels between just kids joking about it to the fact that this country had once broken away or 11 states had broken away to form their own country to uphold the institution of slavery. People want to say states' rights. It was states' rights to own slaves. Like, for me, that, that's case closed. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, and General Sherman marched to Atlanta and burned a lot of it to the ground, and General Grant, uh, you know, was called the butcher. And it's, it you know, those two things, Napoleon putting down this royalist uprising and the actions of, of some Civil War generals to end the Civil War and to emancipate four million people in the country. It's it's very it's it's complicated and it's it's always it's it's you know it's hard to to I can't say I agreed with with those actions you know because I it's a, do you know where I'm coming from? Is oh no, the, I do. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah and, I, and, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to attack your affection for him or, or your appreciation for the nuance of them, I was just struck by you are dealing with the kind of violence that we're seeing, with the kind of protests, with uh, some of the looting that Trump is using to instill fear, specifically with suburban voters and stuff. I just find it really interesting that you were attacked for your allegiance towards peace and to you know, being against violence, where Napoleon politically capitalized to a great degree by willing to go further than almost anybody else in, you know, implementing lethal force to maintain order or to regain order. And yeah, Napoleon was, was really, I guess, uh, a law and order kind of person. Uh, right. And, and especially as, as, he, as, as the government became centralized and he became the emperor, he was Napoleon instituted press censorship, propaganda, sure. uh, you know, he secret police and, and, and all these things. Uh, and yeah, the parallel, it, it's, 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 it's a story of, of, of two different kinds of people. And, um, and I think that's where, you know, uh, Napoleon was, was, a, was uh, early on, was very revolution, very pro-revolutionary. He was very, at the beginning of his life, he was very pro-Corsican. He was born on the island of Corsica the same year that it was, it came under French rule. He was a staunch Corsican nationalist and actually wanted to fight against the French, the people that he would one day lead. Uh, and early on, he was very, very, very revolutionary. Uh, he was actually, uh, you know, 
his his life came under threat once, you know, after the fall of Robespierre because he had been involved in that kind of he had, you know, had contact with Robespierre Robespierre's brother, I believe. And to see that as Napoleon get, you know, the the whole power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, I feel that al- along the way he lost his way and and kind of abandoned those some of those ideals um in pursuit of, of, of power. His goal was, you know, to to create, to to mold the world into what he believed it should be. And me being, you know, one voice out of many in the democracy, advocating for 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 nonviolence, for 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 peace, both at home and abroad. Like seeing the, the president deploy, you know, saying he's going to deploy the military is, it, you know, there's parallels to that. Well, uh, and I and and I can certainly see, you know, as you say, this is a kid born in Corsica who, till his dying day, spoke French with an accent, right. was mercilessly, mercilessly bullied for not just his stature, but his inability to speak French at speed. Right. And, uh, and yeah, and on the strength of his ability and, and intelligence, after he gave up um, writing that romantic novella and, and his yeah. history of Corsica, <laughs> um, goes into <laughs> the military and is a general at 24, um, definitely was a product of that revolution, or at least that was the spin. And, and I can see how when, you know, I learn of you that you're the first person in your family to graduate high school and now you're at the University of Texas. But I, 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 I also wonder if you see parallels, not just with some of the Napoleon stuff, but we are in a time where there is more income inequality in America right now, dramatically so, then was present in France during the French Revolution, like like leading up to 1789, where we, in Rome, just before it was set on fire, the top 1% controlled 16% of wealth, and we're in the neighborhood of 40% right now. We have more income inequality than czarist Russia before the revolution. Do you, do you use some of your studying and education on Napoleon's time and see parallels with where we are right now with the divisiveness, with the income inequality, with the, these movements that are sweeping across the country. Is, it, is there parallels that you use or, or history that you use to inform how you would seek to address these problems if you had in, increasingly more power to do so? Yeah, there, yeah. So, and 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 that was a, a big draw of, of my my attention to Bernie Sanders was the fact that you know, as, as again, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, and the fact that people people who are older nowadays say, I went to college and you know, paid my way off and worked through school and I owned a house and a car. It's just like, well, yeah, that was in 1970. We can't do that today. You know, I I was very very close to not going to college. I it. I was, it was July, and I had, I had accepted a, a offer to work for Bernie in Iowa, uh, July 2019, uh, because I, I couldn't afford to go to school. And I didn't want to take out loans and drown in debt. I wasn't going to go down that, that, that hole. I was going to work, you know, earn my money, you know, earn money, save it, and then go to school. And it wasn't until, you know, the filmmakers, you know, just, you know, wanted to help out and, and were able to help me go to school 
And with the film coming out now and everything, I'm in a very fortunate position to not have to worry about my schooling anymore uh, and, and the cost associated with it. I, I see the, the, the parallels of the, again, you, again you're 100% right. That's, that's what it was. Is, and it, is the country right now, is the violence we're starting to see, you know, it, it starts somewhere. And, you know, it's, I think the, the the difference in our the fact that we have a republic, the fact that we have a democracy, and and Russia had the czar and and France had a king, um, and Rome had the dictators or, or consuls or emperors or kings or whatever time period that they were in. Uh, that we have a choice, that we have a choice, and people I think are rising up, and especially young people to see that. What happens now is going to affect them in 20, 30, 40 years. If, you know, the fact that, that President Trump appointed two justices to the Supreme Court who could serve on there for the next 30 years, I could be uh, 47 and still be living with the effects of Donald Trump even long after he's done being president. Yeah. And, you know, it, and it's, it's been on a steady, it's been rising, you know, since the 70s, the income disparity and in our society, you know, just, you know, the fact that in a in, in a huge global recession, billionaires can make that much money. That book was hitting two hundred billion dollars. Wow, a lot of families like mine. My mom, my mom was out of work and she just got laid off a few weeks ago. Uh, and having to rely on the government, you know, for for help. And 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 you know. The, the quote of, you know, we have socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for the poor is right. as true now as it was in, in Dr. King's day. So I, I think, you know, it's just a matter and you know of time and, and with everything going, not even just with the wealth inequality, but with police brutality, the Black Lives Matter movement. Mass fact, incarceration. Mass incarceration. Uh, you know, people can't afford to go to school. People can't afford to own a home. And people don't realize that why don't you wonder why don't young people vote? Why don't Hispanics vote in large numbers? Like they're a huge block. Why don't they? Well, people don't consider the fact that they have to work. They can't. They don't have time to get involved in politics. They don't have time. They just they they have to work. My mom growing up worked two to three jobs. I would not see my mom for days because when I would wake up, she'd be getting what little sleep she could. And when I think when I would go to school, she would be getting what little sleep she could. And when I got home, she was already at work. And that would happen for, for days at a time that I wouldn't see my mom. And seeing that she, that she you know, was so tired and, and just like she had to keep going for us. And it, it's, it's so sad that it took a pandemic for my mom to finally get the rest that she deserved after working nonstop for, you know, 30 years. That she finally got to, to stay home and, and rest and be with her kids. You know, I've gotten... All of us have got them, you know, like we're very close to my mother, but the fact that she can see what we're doing, she can talk to us, we can eat together, we, she can, you know, we can have a dinner together is, is something. It, it's, it took a pandemic for that to happen, and, and not without uh, a cost. Me, my mom, and my stepdad all came down with COVID-19 in July. Hmm. And we were all very fearful for my mother because she is, you know, she has, it was at a higher risk of, of, some, of, getting, of having complications from that. You know, I, I, it is, it was the worst illness that I've ever experienced. And all I can think about is, is she going to be okay? And, you know, Stephen, you're not okay. Like, do we need to take the hospital? I'm like, we can't afford to go to the hospital. We can't. 
Right. Like, people have to make those decisions every day. People shouldn't have to make a decision between drowning in medical debt and dying. And people are so frustrated in this country with that. And I think young people are realizing that. And, and more and more people take to the streets, and they should. And that's the only time that the only time that changes ever come to this country is through disruptions like that. It's not the it's not the fucking three quotes that Dr. Martin Luther King says that white people like. The nonviolent right. quotes. It takes getting beat on, on on that bridge like John Lewis did. It takes blood being shed. It takes people standing up and 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 fighting back. And that that that's the only time that any kind of structural major change in this country has happened is so when people stood up in any country stood up, rose up and fought back against the government for what 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 they were owed as citizens of the greatest country on earth. And I I truly love this country so much. I think it's be, not because of its history, but because of the people in it that have done the the strides that they have made uh, in the women's suffrage and the civil rights movement and the disability rights movement, the gay rights movement. Um, those is I think that's what it makes it great. I I criticize this country and I I you know searingly not because I don't hate it, but because I know it could do better. And here's the history that it shows that it can do better. And there's never going to be a day where the work is done. Our union will never, ever, ever be perfect. But we got to keep striving towards that. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be going back. And so, I this election is so important because Joe Biden isn't wasn't my first choice. It wasn't a lot of people's first choice. He a lot of the position he has, a lot of young, young people and and progressives and some Democrats don't believe in. But, can I can I put you on the spot for a second? Because there's, mm-hmm. there's something I wanted to ask you when I was watching you in the film. Um, I'm, I'm Canadian. I've lived in New York for the last 10 years. But it fascinates me when Bernie Sanders, his entire platform is criticized and summarily dismissed as radical when it's pretty middle of the row in almost every other first world country. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I could give a Bernie Sanders speech. It's not a radical idea that citizens should be entitled to health care. Canada, every single major industrialized country on, on earth guarantees health care to their citizens as a right. Right. It's, it's you know, the it's, you know, I know UK has the NHS. I'm not sure if, if it's the same thing in, in Canada, but, you know, you can go to a doctor and, and, and not pay a single, you know, fee. People, again, shouldn't have to make this, you know, make those choices that my family has had to make over the past couple of years. Um, on, you know, can we afford to go to the doctor? You know, if we go to the doctor, we're going to be able to pay the rent. And, and, the, and the number one reason people go bankrupt in the United States is a medical-related emergency, which doesn't exist in any other industrialized country. There's right. zero it's, people going bankrupt. It's the the fact that, you know, and, and Bernie has been talking about this for, for 30 years. You go back and watch clips of him saying the exact same thing, the exact same speech. Every single interview with Bernie, it's the same, and it's what people will like is it's like, damn, he may repeat himself, but he's 100% right, and he's always been consistent. And that's what attracts young people, the fact that in, in my lifetime, I was born, I was nine months when 9-11 happened. I am old enough to go fight in a war that started when I was a baby. I am, I have, we have, you know, as, as growing up, two financial recessions in 2008 and 2020. Uh, you know, it, a lot of my, my friends are, can't, you know, go to school because they can't afford it. Uh, climate change is, is, is also a huge factor in the fact that my city of Houston, we just now avoided a, a, a Category 4 hurricane by barely. 
2017, we got hit with a thousand-year storm, uh, Hurricane Harvey, which completely devastated my city and left a lot of my friends uh, homeless and without a home and without a place to stay. And the fact that, oh, we keep getting these once-in-a-lifetime storms every couple of years, oh, two hurricanes the Gulf has at the same time has never happened before. You know, it's just like, well, I'm tired of all these, oh, these things that these abnormalities because people aren't focused on the climate. And I think part of it is it's holding Pre Vice President Biden's feet to the fire and making sure that he lives through the promises that he's making. But I, I do believe that he is, has made serious strides to address uh, both sides, to be able to it, – it, it's, a, it's a really big tent, the fact that you can have Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Michael Bloomberg, John Kasich, Colin Powell – Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, all speaking at the same event, progressives, Democrats, and Republicans. And just to go to show that the states that are in this election, that, hey, you can, you know, what's, what's to, to progressives out there that might be listening who are very weary about Joe Biden, what is the point of fighting, of trying to win the fight between Democrats if we lose the fight to fascism, essentially? What's the point? They're, 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 yeah, you, you, you know, you'll have your your pride. You'll have that. You you stuck to your guns to the end at the cost of, of four more years of Donald Trump. And I really do believe that uh, that the only way you can beat Donald Trump is to vote for Joe Biden. You can get 10 million people to vote for your third party, and that's that's going to give the, the election to Trump. 20 million people. It doesn't matter how many people vote third party. It's, it, it will it will ensure Donald Trump's re-election. And four more years of this is, is I don't think this country can will be able to withstand it. And, and again, it's a very scary thought what's going to happen after November 3rd because Donald Trump doesn't disappear after November 3rd. Trumpism doesn't disappear. His family doesn't go away. His, you know, his allies and his post, you know, the, the most fervorous of supporters just don't just disappear. They're going to be there. They're going to be influenced in politics. They're going to be running their candidates. They're going to be running their ads. They're going to be running their social media campaigns. They're going to be pushing their agenda uh, well after November 3rd. And so the fight doesn't end there, you know, and I think it's, I think people are realizing that, that it's, it's a constant thing. Just because we elected him, America is saved and we're done. No, you got to, you got to keep fighting and push back and, and fight for the, for the ideals that we believe in because in the greatest country on earth, we're 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 not ahead in the game. Can I can I put you on the spot? I mean, just that I hear that so often in this country, the greatest country on earth. That refrain, that rhetoric. Um, the last person I had on wrote an article that went viral about New York City being dead, and Jerry Seinfeld took out an op-ed the next day to say the only thing that's dead is you. New York City will bounce back. It has the energy and the grit. But what I found fascinating was. This guy's article was not opining or editorializing about why New York has never faced what it's facing right now. Um, it was just a series of metrics, uh, massive deficit, all of the, the stores closing down, the, I mean, obviously being the epicenter of COVID, the deaths and the infections, 40% um, of people not being able to pay their rent. Um, I want to know something that I use to talk to conservatives to look at where we are now versus where we were some decades ago 
was a story from my my ex-wife's grandmother who told me in in 1970 her husband had just left the navy he he was on a nuclear submarine and he became very abusive to her so she left him moved to Seattle uh, with three kids young kids got a job packing meat at a Safeway and was able to put all three of those kids through college own a home and retire reasonably comfortably, at least safely. And I wonder, where is that woman today in that same situation? If, if that same woman left Idaho to go to Seattle, she can't buy a home. Safeway is not going to pay her a living wage. There's no union that she's working. She's probably only going to get part-time. If there's any medical emergency in that family, they're done. Um, she'd never be able to afford that home and certainly never be able to afford the, the college tuition of those kids. And what I ask is, is America better for that woman and her family not making it? Isn't she doing everything that you're prescribing an individual to do to work towards her slice of the American dream? And the, the deck is stacked against her now. And I'm not sure why it is or why anybody would call that progress. 100%. And it's... Just again, looking at, at my mother, like if, if hard work makes you rich, then she should be worth millions, right? And why is it like like the the fact that you know I I hope to you know pursue for politics and and you know my my goal is to make sure that one day I can tell my mom like hey you never have to work a day in your life again you know I'm you know I'm gonna take care of you and and that's I think the hope of of, of all children to be able to take care of their parents because. Again, she, you know, is is very young to have the problems that she has. You know, the fact that, you know, her her body is is, is you know has gone through a, a tremendous amount of strain and, and stress and and health scares and yeah, it like that that that, that rugged individual is the the whole the idea of American exceptionalism. I think was true then in 1970 was where you could, you know, you could not go to college. You could get a job, uh, work nine to five, be able to put, put your, you know, own a home, put your kids through school and then retire with dignity and, and, and somewhat comfortably. And that was only 40 years ago. So um, it's, the the whole the, the that, that notion of that hard work can can you know if it, you can do you'll you'll if you work hard you'll make it there's <laughs> I, I most Americans work their ass off to make ends meet in, in today's day and age to be able to meet the rent to be able to put food on their table to be able to put themselves through school they work hard why you know if why can't the government take some of the some of the? I, I truly believe that government it can help people, and why can't the government be able to to alleviate some of those stresses that people have? They work and they, they should be able to not worry about the medical expenses and that the fact that if they want to go on and and, and strictly pragmatic, if you want to be a pragmatist about it, you know I, you know, am one hundred percent, you know, pro pro peace and you know, want to see endless wars end. 
but I'm also not oblivious to the fact that I know that that the United States has competitors in the world and some that that are viewed hostile that they they treat each other hostily you know with hostility Russia and, and China and uh, you know whatever reasons those are you know, the, the history of like they have a reason to hate us is, is a topic for another day but the fact that that, that exists in the world if, if if we want to be able to compete with them then shouldn't we have the most educated citizens to make sure that our citizens are the most productive, making sure that they're able to get the healthcare they need to be able to make sure that they're able to get the education they need to be able to compete in the global market. If you want to look at that from strictly not of human empathy, but of, you know, pragmatic production and making sure that they're productive, well, why don't we? You know, if other countries can do that, that's why, you know, you see places like Canada, like Europe, super high on the, on the you know, H- the HDI and like, you know, I think, the Scandinavian countries rank the highest in, you know, in terms of happiness and education and healthcare and, and all those things. And so, like, it's like by what metric is America a great country? On, what are we great on, on the size of their military and, you know, how long they've been at war with, uh, how long they've been in a state of war against another country? How do we rate that? It's not in education. It's not in healthcare. It's not in happiness. It's not in homelessness. It's not in Sorry. dealing with COVID. Yeah, it's uh, definitely not dealing with COVID. So by what by what measurement is America the greatest country on earth? And, and can I ask you, why do we need to think of ourselves that way? Because I I don't know what from I'm proud of Canada having universal health care. I'm proud of traveling around the world and, and generally my country having a good reputation. It, it feels good. You know, we obviously have our problems. We sterilize um, indigenous people. Like there were huge problems in Canada historically, and there still are huge problems. But there's also a lot of goodwill that I think has been generated by some of the things we've done. But I don't know what it is to be patriotic for my country because I'm not sure what it means exactly to be Canadian. I have like a bunch of pieces in the constellation of what it means to me, but there isn't this, there's no pledge of allegiance in Canada every day that kids are are doing. I mean, when I went to Cuba for the first time and saw all of the fervor towards Fidel and communism, I thought, wow, like this is so extreme. But it's not particularly extreme compared to how Americans um, venerate capitalism and the the flag and 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 the pledge of allegiance very similar in fact as an outsider to both countries and so i just wonder like this perpetual loss of innocence or how could anybody be against us um why does america seem to need this sense of being god's chosen country and being the greatest and and it just seems like it contributes so incredibly and intensely to when COVID exposes, I mean, I think the Atlantic had an article, um, this has exposed a failed state, that don't we need to be a little more realistic and critical rather than always relying on this, we're the greatest and, and our belief in us being the greatest will solve every problem, seemingly? I know I'm being reductive and oversimplifying, but you know what I mean? No. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, I, I, I'm able to to list off what I just listed off of, like what by what met, by what measurement are we great, and still believe that 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 the country I live in 
you know, as arbitrary as it might seem, is, is a great country. And I, I look at it because of, not because of the country itself, but because of what the citizens have been able to accomplish in it. The fact yeah. that, you know, the, the, the struggle, and there's, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing I, I think about a lot. Uh, we separated from England, you know, the Revolutionary War and, and whatnot, and to to be to be free men, we the people, you know, certain men are endowed by the creators with unalienable un- rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, were the words. England, if, if, you know, I'm, I'm might be getting the date wrong, but ended slavery uh, at least two or three decades before the United States did. Had the United States not had separated away from the from 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 Great Britain. Could those millions of, of people in bondage have been freed sooner? And just looking at like the history of, of the United States and you know Latin America and then the Cold War and seeing you know like all these the the insanity that people don't really know about the dark history of the United States that people either don't know about or choose to be blissfully ignorant about is is scary. I think America is a, is a great country, not because of what the government does, but because of what its people have done. I think that the, the civil rights movement is a perfect example of that, of like that, you know, of, of people fighting for, you know, uh, there was a civil war fought and 600,000 Americans died in that war to free, the, you know, free to end, end slavery. And it took another hundred years for the rights that had been given to them by the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to be, uh, you know, there was, it took a hundred years for them to get the rights after that. What's the point of being free if you don't have freedom? What's the point of, of what was the point of freeing the slaves if you weren't going to give them the vote, if you weren't going to give them equal protection under the law? It took another hundred years after the end of the Civil War for them to be able to get those in the, in the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. And now 50 years later, we're still dealing with the same problems that they were facing in, in, in the 1960s. And, and I and, and so, I wonder I I wonder also like I think there was a Malcolm Gladwell podcast on this that if we had not spent one dollar on border security with Mexico, we would have 30 percent less people of Mexican origin living in the United States. Like just our solutions to these problems just seem to be or the drug war or you know, like a number of other massive investments of money or even, I mean, you could argue with, with the amount of money we've spent militarily to combat terrorism, um, the results of these uh, massive investments doesn't seem to make people, it doesn't seem to solve any of the problems. It seems to constantly exacerbate them. Yeah, it's, and that, that's where that difference comes from. Like, do I believe the United States government is the greatest government on earth? And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's not. I believe that the people of the United States have endured so much bullshit over the past two centuries of existence. And it, 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 the, the story of the United States is a story of uh, citizens constantly fighting for their rights and, and having those big victories and then continuing to fight for the rights of everybody else. So I think that the, I think the people... I, I can't think of, you know, and again, and that's part of it, you know, where, should you be proud because of where you were born? I happen to be born in the United States. If I were in Mexico, I could think Mexico is the greatest country on earth and it lists the reasons why. 
or if I were born in Canada, you know, like, you know, maple syrup and bagged milk is, is the reason why. Um, but in America, I, I see that as, as just the stories of, of, of persistence, the stories of John Lewis and Dr. King, of, of Rosa Parks, of Cesar Chavez, uh, the woman suffrage, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, like those stories is why America is exceptional, that somebody in, in, that somebody in this country that didn't re- treat them like like citizens, that didn't even treat them like people, were able to overcome. And because of the actions of so few, so many now get to enjoy the freedoms that they had fought and, and, and died for and maybe never never endured or never got to experience for themselves. It, it's it's planting a tree in the sh- it's planting a tree, and in which shade you'll never sit in. But just knowing that you're able to, to plant those seeds so that one day people could sit under that tree. Is why I think. Is why I believe that America, in the sense of the people of the United States, are the greatest and have endured so much and continue to endure and have never lost that spirit of of accepting the way things are. Of this is the way things are. It's hell no. Like it doesn't have to be this way. They've been fighting for 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 decades. They're, they're going to keep fighting for decades. And so that's why I, I I at least me personally, and I can you know speak for anybody else of why they they might think that America is great because of. Of, of capitalism and the biggest troops and, you know, sur- you know the suburbs and, and whatnot. And, you know, Republicans will tell you that America is the greatest country on earth. And if you question them by those metrics or you question by what measurement, I, they'd be giving a very different answer, I think, than I am uh, on why do I think that America is great. And I think it's just because of the people in it and all they've had to endure and them not, being them not just acquiescing or, you know, surrendering themselves to the system that was built for them. Stephen, I'm curious. It seems like now when I think about the prerequisite to become president, um, I wonder, like I remember as a little kid uh, asking my dad, saying all these politicians that I'm seeing in a debate, they're all lawyers like you. Why don't you're passionate about politics, you're obsessed with it, why wouldn't you run? And his response to me, I think I was six, was why would anybody who should run ever want to subject themselves to running right now? No decent person would ever want to subject themselves to that. And I found that unbelievably sad. I I understand where he's coming from, and he didn't mean it, I don't think, cynically, but as the process unveiled Donald Trump, where it's like, if you want it more than anybody else and will do anything to get it, you're going to be rewarded in this system, it seems like, increasingly. And, and it also seems like the people who become president have wanted to become president basically since they were born. They had their eyes on that prize in many cases. Like, I, I interviewed a photographer who photographed Trump in 19, uh, when Trump was 30, and this photographer, Harry Benson, had photographed every president since Eisenhower. And I asked him how long it took him to know that Trump would, would want to become president, like how many years? And he said, years, five minutes, five minutes. You knew it as soon as you met him, that like whatever was the biggest prize, he was going for it. And so I wonder with you, when, do, like, where do you see yourself? You're 19 now? Yep. Mm-hmm. Where do you see yourself wanting to land politically to do the most good, to be able to have the most influence, a uh, positive impact? Where right now at 19 years old, do you, where am I going to see you in 20 years if, if things go your way? 
that that is is a it's a question that I give a very general answer, and I want to say that <laughs> out of, of all of the things, all the interviews that I've done, this is by far my the most favorite in terms of the the the, the converse that I didn't think we were going to talk about Napoleon for like twenty minutes, or you know, I'll vote for you, yeah. Stephen. I was already going to vote for you. You don't have to butter me up. No, no, no. I'm just the, the fact that it, you know it, it's. And this is what I I was talking about of what the film has done for me is giving me a platform to be able to speak because you know like I've I've said a lot of stuff about the film already you know I've I've talked about obviously at, at length and it's nice to talk about what I you know where the country is heading what you know certain issues are why do why do I think the way I think I I I am I don't have I, I have the when I I say that Napoleon's ambition is something I hope to replicate I don't want to overthrow the, <laughs> the United States of America and, and form Emperor Garza. Yeah, you know, I don't want to be emperor even the first. I don't, you know, I and even in terms of like pursuing political ambition, my political ambition is is seeing things past. And you know, I, I say people ask me like, what do you what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I'm studying government in college, and I want to um, work on political campaigns. And I said, hope my like my dream job is to is to be you know a staffer in government. You know, you know if if I I think. Finding candidates that I truly believe in and work for them on their campaign and once and help them get elected and then serve with them in, in, in government office. This is what I want to do. And the the topic of, of running for office always comes up and it's it's not something that I plan for because that that it's it's I don't want to see it as I don't I don't like people who use things as a stepping stone. Uh, and and use political office as a stepping stone. I, I have no plans right now to ever pursue elected office not because it's, it's not because I'm against it but because I don't see right now the if I ever decide if it ever comes to 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 me that there's that there's a, a position open and that somebody is not running on the right ideas or that somebody needs to step up to that plate I'm not a, I'm not opposed to that but it would take knowing that I would have the support of of, of my family of my friends of, of the people that I would be representing to nudge. It wouldn't be a decision I'd just say yes to. It's something that I, I, and even with the whole film being out and people getting to see maybe me being vulnerable, I still like a certain degree of privacy in my life that most politicians don't get to have. Right. And so it's where I see myself in 10 or 20 years. I mean, if, if everything works out, you know, if, if, if what I have planned, at least like in a very, you know, it's like the basic framework, go to college, work on campaigns, work in government. Then in 20 years, I should have, you know, had a few campaigns under my belt and, and, and served, you know, as in 20 years, hope as an, a, a senior advisor to somebody that I, that I believed in. Uh, but then again, if, I, I, you know, very locally, you know, if, if I see that, you know, somebody needs to run for a certain office, I don't, you know, where the local, state, or, or federal office, and I don't feel that people are bringing the right ideas for the district, especially, you know, living in a district. If I, if I feel that somebody doesn't represent me, uh, no matter what experience I have, uh, you know, if it's if it's next year, if it's 10 years from now, um, I wouldn't be opposed to running just because... I the, the 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 amount of support that I've gotten from people because of this film, the thousands of of people who have followed me uh, and have told me like you inspiring, like having knowing that I would have their their support, knowing that they believe that I could step up to that plate and do a, a, a pretty pretty good job uh, is is very uh, moving for me. 
I just I just don't know. It's the, so the, do you understand where I'm coming from? Where if oh, I sure. see if somebody is running for state representative in my district, whether it be next year or ten years from now, and I feel that the candidates running don't represent me or maybe don't have the right vision for the district or my community, then I wouldn't be opposed to somebody say you should run. You know, I it's just something like you know I I, I have to think about it. And I have to talk to my family and talk to my friends and see if. You know, if if I have the support for that, because it's it, it's taxing and it's a lot to put yourself out there and in, in that position. Can I, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't use that the fact that I was twenty years old as as a detriment. You know, it's you know there shouldn't be a certain age where you you know besides what is required by law, <laughs> uh, there shouldn't be you know like you have to be have you have to have a college degree to run for office or you have to have graduated or be a certain age. You know, like if you're running, if you're running on principles and you and you can defend yourself. Uh, in a debate, and you can explain what policy positions you have and, and answer questions. Like, what, there's no qualify. I don't have to be a lawyer, and you know, or serve in business for 20 years and represent this, this, and this, and this. And if I'm active in my community and if I have the right reasons to run, whether or not I have a college degree, whether or not I'm, you know, of have you know, people say life experience. What does that mean? I've gone through things in my life that all of adults never will ever ever go through. What life yeah. experience do you want? There's no such thing. Or you're too young. Like that's ages. <laughs> you know. Like I. You know. I think I could hold my own against some 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 pretty smart people and some pretty people who have maybe twenty, ten, or twenty, thirty, forty years on me. You know. That that's why. You know. I running. What you know. It could be in in, in my future. But again. You know. In in twenty years, probably a safe bet is that I I still be working on on campaigns or something like that. Well, let me let me put it a different way. Is Somebody, somebody like Bernie Sanders has a platform now, this radical platform that the majority of Americans on almost every single issue, a majority of Americans are in favor of all of these issues. And yet, historically, he had tremendous problems um, passing any legislation as a senator. So how, how would you address that when you finally the country is caught up to where you stand on a number of issues that would have a transformative effect that America is desperate to have, and yet it's so difficult to implement anything in the richest, most powerful country, et cetera, et cetera, but we never seem to be able to do any of these things, which uh, always just, uh, I don't know, it depresses me, but it just mystifies me, like why we have so little ambition to simply just move in the direction of what a democracy wants to have. So a lot of people say that, that Bernie's or the progressive policies are high in the sky, like, you know, these crazy, like, you know, um, unattainable. But like, why, why do people want to, why don't people, what's the word? Why don't they want to reach beyond what can be done or what's possible? Why can't they, you know, there, there, there's not like a point where Obamacare wasn't perfect, right? There was a lot more that could have been done. And so why do people feel that they need to limit themselves in their scope and have a very limited scope of, no, this is, you know, we can't afford it. We've got to do this, this, and this. Like, why can't you just expand that and try to be ambitious about, like, you know, Kennedy said, we're going to be in, on the moon by the end of this decade. And we were, you know, you know, just like 
by the you know it was about fifty what fifty years between the first automobile and a man being on the moon. Right. That that amb- that ambition to 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 aim for the sky and and explore these limited limitless possibilities. How can we make an American's life better? You know. Well, but I, but know, also also can I ask though that like. Part of the issue seems to be that a majority of Americans now are in favor of the Affordable Care Act, but then several percentage points, there's several percentage points difference with, you call it the Obama, Obamacare. Yeah, you say, it's different when you say, do you, uh, you ask a question, like a, a pollster, do you ask a question like, do you support everyone, have, do, you, do you believe that everyone should have health care? Right. You, you would get all wrongly yes. Do you support Bernie Sanders' plan for universal health care? And then the numbers change. Yeah. <laughs> because you know, like do you support the if you if you use the entire like the entire uh name of the affordable it's like the affordable care and had you know patients it's 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 a pretty long name. You right. say do you support this act or like would you support that? And then you say, Would you support Obamacare? Right? Like there there was a poll done like that. Not sure if it I saw it somewhere, you know, on the internet, maybe it was fake. But like if people supported bombing a certain country, and a lot of people said yes, and the country they had named was a country uh, from Aladdin that didn't exist. But people are are you know you stare like oh Bernie socialism like oh AOC socialism oh Obama that one kid on the bus at Boy State who said Obama was near socialist. You tell the socialist that they'd be like they I fucking wish he was exactly you know? you, like you know like you know, a moderate like Joe Biden this is a radical socialist like. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people wish he was, um, you know, he's not, and it's it's, it's that fear mongering and that that that. I th- I think it's it's the leftover fear. It's 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 it's, it's leftover Cold War fear, uh, particularly among uh, you know boomers. I you know is is that like they they see that and it, they they're reminded of of what it was like to hide under a desk and be under the fear of of nuclear Armageddon. And and they're just afraid of of like these new policies. Like, no, America has always been this, this, and this is what America stands for. That's why they're called conservatives. They want to conserve the way things are, and why progressives consider themselves progressive because they want to progress beyond that and keep going. So that that would have you know for people to you know, and the rise of social media makes it a lot harder. The, the fact that if false information can spread so quickly, and companies like Facebook don't care about it, don't care if there's misinformation and, and stuff like that. Mark Zuckerberg meeting with, you know, Republican officials and, and all these kind of things. It's, you know, it's 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 complicated. Then you have, you involve external things like, like Russian interference and and all these kind of things. It's just, you know, when does it end? Where, like, at one point does the American people, they they know what they want. Or like deep down, they want like they believe that people should have health care. But why is it that if Bernie Sanders says that, people get very mixed views? But because the because Fox News has told them that Bernie is a crazy socialist, Donald Trump calls him a crazy socialist. The Republicans consider him crazy socialist. Even Democrats like Mike Bloomberg, who went on the debate stage and basically called Bernie a communist, <laughs> he right. said that we've tried what Bernie, you know, people countries, other countries have tried what he's you know advocating for. It's called communism, and it didn't work. Like you know, that's then that's why you know, and I think young people see through all that, and they're like they're able, they're less susceptible to propaganda. Not, you know, some of them are they're, they're young, and especially people who, but people who, I think this generation is more politically 
uh, involved and maybe past generations just because they see social media and they have an opinion on something. Right. You know, all these young people coming out to March and, and stuff like they, everybody has an opinion. Even, you know, like, kids are not like, oh, politics isn't for me. They'll always and, talk about me. And I'm sure that they're also not, they're not being spoon fed their news because like, I remember visiting a friend and we would watch the news at 7 p.m. or something like that. Like that, that was his routine. So whenever I visit his house, he had a TV. I didn't have a TV. I would find news on, on the computer or on your phone. But if you look at the commercials during like 7 o'clock news, no matter what channel you were on, MSNBC, Fox News, the commercials were geared towards you having irritable bowel syndrome, diabetes, uh, clearly you were a very unhealthy 75-year-old person who was their target demographic for watching the news. And I just thought, wow, like there's such a shift here. Yeah, you're not going to have any, any, you know, it's going to be like, have you or your loved one been diagnosed with mesothelioma? It's it's like, you know, I know it's, you know, or, you know, like, a, you know, the Gerber healthcare plan, whatever whatever it was, like there was always something. And I, I like now people get to pick their news. People get People can follow CNN, ABC, they can follow journalists, you know, like yourself. They can follow the Young Turks. They can follow Fox News, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity. And, you know, they're, you know, so typically people will, will only, you know, be friends with people who agree with them. And so somebody who is liberal's Twitter feed is going to be mostly liberal because they follow liberal people. They follow, you know, left-leaning news organizations. And their friends are happen to be liberal and they'll like and retweet liberal stuff. Let me, let me ask you something. I mean, I've seen all the positive response to you on social media um, and, and just the media in general, but what has the negative response been? Are there, are there people on the conservative side of the aisle who, like, like with AOC, like just perceive that you offering hope and inspiration to, to more liberal-minded people makes you a threat? Like, are you already being tarred or attacked in any way? No, I, that, that, that is, it's, that's a very interesting question because I, I, the 90, 99% of the response towards me, at, at least, has been very positive. And, you know, uh, even if maybe somebody didn't enjoy the film that much, they enjoyed me or Renee. Um, the the funny thing about I, I I've had people who say to message me like hey like I'm a Republican and I'll vote for you when you run like I you know like you are you know a lot of people have done that huh. the only flack I've gotten actually are from more progressive people <laughs> interesting because I you know they're they had hope for me they're like oh he's a Bernie Sanders she said he supports Bernie Sanders school and then they say that by the end of it I'm a neoliberal Pete Buttigieg you know corporate chill you know, that I, huh. I saturate my views. And I, the thing is, is like in this simulation, well, yeah, like if, yeah, yeah, you know, I could go, you know, I can stick with my guns and go my, go up on that first speech and say, I'm for all of this, get zero votes. And that's the end of my story. And you'll never hear from me again. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I went up there, I didn't compromise my beliefs. I rarely ever talked about what I feel. Nobody, if somebody publicly asked me, like, what do you believe on abortion? I'd be like pro-choice. You know, yeah. but nobody asked me, so I never said anything. Um, likewise, like, you know, just knowing, seeing them talk about, like, uh, anti-abortion, pro-life, it's not my place to tell them to shut shut up because we shouldn't be discussing this in the first place. 
Uh, and knowing that, like, you know, it, it would end for me. So, yeah, most of the, you know, I, I've been somebody yeah, compared to, like, you know, like just neoliberal people to judge Barack Obama, like so disappointed in Stephen. Somebody did, I, one person did say some very mean things <laughs> about, mm-hmm. uh, about me liking Napoleon. They compared it to, to, like, praising Mussolini. And I'm like, I think those are very two different people, uh, you know. You know, so they, they, I don't want to curse, you know, curse too much on you, but there were, there were a lot of curse words in that. Like, we want you, curse words on this show. Are you, they're like, are you, are you fucking stupid? Like, how are you, are you like, are you dumb? Like, how the fuck could you say that you like Napoleon, that you support Napoleon? It's like saying you like fucking support Mussolini. And I'm like, it's, it's not, a, that's not the same thing. <laughs> and again, you know, explaining like, I'm not like, a, I, I'm not a Bonapartist, right? <laughs> or anything right. like that. So, you know, or, you know, so. Uh, yeah, and and it, it's a little bit tough to kind of see the the some of the negative stuff that's been said about some other people in the film, um, and just knowing because I'm friends with them, you know, we're friends, and a lot of them like like f- fun fact, Eddie, who was pro gun conservative, compared to Ben Shapiro at Texas Boise 2018, is now a TikTok leftist. Interesting. Uh, he is more liberal than I am, I think. Now you know, so it's just people like it's, two years is a, it's a huge it's a huge amount of time for people, to, especially seventeen year olds who are still kind of figuring out who they are and what they want to be and what they believe in. And Eddie having the experience of going to to Duke University and and meeting some people who you know believe different things, like it's it's crazy. And so people comparing it's it's I think it's it's the wrong takeaway first of all of of the film. I don't think there's a right takeaway, but it, that's definitely like if if you're takeaway is to is to you know bully or or, or be mean to, to somebody from the film and and so like you can't say that like i inspired you and resonated with you and then say like oh, fuck this person right you know like that like 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 you're just completely missing the point because i never did that i know, you know so, so you know i that, that's you know well you know when it comes to that you know I, you know we're, we, the thing is we're we read stuff you know every you know we see what people are saying and, you know, kind of take, you know, see what people are saying and, and so that I can think about, you know, in future Q&As what to bring up and stuff I've seen and how to answer a question and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, okay, so before I let you go, can I get a hypothetical or I guess it would be theoretical campaign promise if you ever become congressman, senator, or president? A campaign promise. Yeah, it's it's not that big a one, but it's but it okay. is a campaign promise. Is we uh, I, will I, go. I, go, ahead. go ahead. We will go. I spent a lot of time in Havana, where they have the, a Napoleonic museum right beside the university, and it is the second largest repository of Napoleonic artifacts in the world. And I would like us to go there, and I just want to see what it would be like for you to see his bed, his library, all of his equipment. I mean, it's one of the most incredible places I've ever been to, and there's almost nobody ever there. There's like 15 staff members, like security, but people don't go to visit it. And a lot of people don't even know that it's there. Um, I'd like your first campaign promise to be that we can check that out. That is 100%. I mean, <laughs> I didn't know that. And so I, I, it's always been a dream of, like, I've, like, a lot of people want to go to Paris for like the Eiffel Tower, the wood, the food, or whatever. Like, I want to go to like the the, the mausoleums, and and like I want to go to the uh, 
I, my pronunciation of French is so bad. I'll just say like Les Invalides, where, where Napoleon is buried in, in the sarcophagus, where mm. where they are to kind of like, you know, I it's just the, that kind of feeling to be like, I'm a huge Elvis fan. <laughs> and, Elvis? Yeah, like huge, huge, like number one, like it's, you know, uh, super, you know, um, and I went to Graceland for the first time uh, two years ago. Huh. And, you know, to, and Elvis really had his music is very, you know, touching to me. Some of his music, like If I Can Dream is, is my favorite song of all time. And so mm. to kind of go through his home and kind of see everything and his guitars and his, his outfits and all that kind of stuff. And when the tour ends of the home, the way you exit is through the, through the pool where he's buried. And so yeah. to to be there and to look down at his at his grave and just say like Elvis Presley is right there, you know, like his mm. his mortal remains are there. You know, people would have killed to just be next to him, but here I am in, in front of him. And it, you know, I, I think I'll, I'll have that same feeling of going to anyone's tomb, Grant, Washington, you know, Roosevelt, all of them, but Napoleon, just knowing like somebody who, as a historical figure, I know more about him than any other person to be able to either and say like this is the the little Corsican is right here he's 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 right there so 100 percent will go i mean i've always been interested in visiting um just the 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 difference between the two countries especially you know we almost ended up killing everybody in, in the cuban Missile yeah, crisis. yeah you know that. the history yeah you know again it's it's, it's historical and so that 100 percent you know would love once everything comes back to normal uh, 100% would love to do that. They uh, they don't have his, because as you say, he's buried in Paris, but what they do have that I'd never seen before is they have his death mask from Elba, so you can see a mold of exactly how well he's been depicted in all the paintings. He, he, he very, very, I mean, like, I, his face is the, the round and then the nose is, is so, like, his prominent features. And I, I've seen, like, because I've spent a lot of time on the Wikipedia. <laughs> for Nicole, I, I've seen the picture of the death, the, the death mask. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's so interesting. That why is it in Havana? Because they had a sugar baron who collected it from around the world, all these Napoleonic artifacts, and created this repository in his house. And after Castro... Um, took over, well, the revolution, and, and Castro nationalized everything and seized, like the sugar baron fled and just left everything behind, and Castro converted it into a museum. It's right behind the university, like right behind the, those big steps at the University of Havana. Um, if you're facing those steps, it's to the left. If you just go up the street and around the corner, there's this sugar baron, I think his name was Ortez or something, Ortiz, um, but it's like four stories high and it just has this incredible collection of Napoleonic artifacts that uh, I've been there probably 50 times because it's just amazing and nobody goes there. I don't, I don't know why. That's, that, 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 that's, that, that's a dream to just be able to like, just, uh, you know, like there's nobody, I know like, you know, my, my problem with like visiting like big museums, like if I ever visited, you know, like uh, the Smithsonian or something like you really have time to just kind of sit there and like take it all in. Yeah. And, you know, like I would just completely like that. That's, you know, <laughs> thank, thank you for like, I'm, ex I'm excited thinking about going, you know, <laughs> so. So, get, so we need you to hurry up and get elected to one of these positions and then we can head over. Definitely. 100%. Well, I really appreciate your time. Uh, it was 
I was just so, so amazed and filled with hope and admiration watching you. So I'm just joining the chorus in the film, but I've, I've enjoyed this conversation almost more. Um, just get to know you a little better. Um, so, you know, there's so many interviews of me saying the same thing, how it was picked, what happened, what do I believe? But this is really the, the first time we're like, if you want to get to know me better and, and what I think about stuff, then this is, well, great. you need to look to this. Thanks again, Stephen. This is a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tourist Information. The producers for this show are George Alarcon Swaby, Dolgan Media, myself, Bryn Jonathan Butler, and our audio editor is Anda Salaji. Thanks for listening.